Is it Taylor or Taylor? How do you like to be, have it said? Oh, I've never actually been asked that. I always get asked about my last name. Um, Taylor, I don't know, Taylor? I've never really analyzed my first name. Just not Tyler. When people <laughs> call me Tyler, that drives me crazy. Taylor. <laughs> there will be no Tyler discussion within this interview, <laughs> but congratulations on your new album, already charting high all over the world. One thing I didn't know is when it was actually finished, because there's the, the mythology of how it was created, but not when it was finished. Uh, you know, that's a good question. I'd actually have to call, I'd have to look that up. Um, but we fin like for the actual date, but we finished it um, a little over a year ago at this point. We finished it kind of right before the, the pandemic struck. Um, like the lot, we were just putting the final touches on everything um, and finishing the album art back in March uh, and then lockdown started, so. Um, luckily we, you know, we completed everything, you know, minus the music videos and stuff, which that was a whole, whole fiasco to figure out how to do in this, uh, in this crazy right. world we're living in right now. But, um, the music and everything was completed before that. What was the first song that was written for the album? Do you remember that? Um, I mean, they all kind of come pieces sometimes, but, uh, the first one that the real first one I think that was finished and, and done was, uh, and kind of a turning point for me was 25. Mm -hmm. uh, I wrote that when I was 24 turning 25 and it was it was the first time we recorded for the album because we recorded that right after my 25th birthday. Um, so that's probably the first one. It was, I was certainly in a very reflective um, mm -hmm. period of my life. Like probably a lot of people are around birthdays, but that song is kind of, you know, very autobiographical in a lot of ways. So um, that was certainly a moment where I, I kind of took a step back for a second and looked at the song and I went, I think I might've just, I think this might be really good. I think I just might've gotten way better. <laughs> Maybe I might be crazy, but I, I think I might've just done something pretty cool here. <laughs> you just answered my next three questions because I want to ask you about 25. When I hear it, or at least when I heard it the first time, I heard this and went, there's no chance that this isn't the song that they play when they come back for the encore as the first song. <laughs> Do you know where in the set you might slot that one? I don't know. I haven't, it's a good question. I haven't thought that far ahead yet I mean honestly I'm just waiting for the day that we can get back into rehearsals like just the four of us in a room playing um would be nice like my joke has become as much as I love acoustic guitar like that's you know where I, I write music on acoustic guitars I've been doing a lot of acoustic stripped back versions of our songs I've been doing very a lot of cool covers with you know collaborations with music musicians who I admire that's been all good and fine but man I miss electricity at this point like <laughs> It's just not the same. Um, so I'm just, I'm looking forward to the day that the four of us can get back together and, uh, and then we'll start building the set list from there. Yeah. When you take a song like 25, clearly it has chords, clearly it has structure, but the way I hear it, it sounds to me like the vocal and the vocal melody came first. Am I totally off base about that? Um, you're not totally off base. It's kind of, it all kind of tends to come at once. That's the, that's the thing. It's not, there's no, there's no formula or, you know, structure or like repeatable pattern to how I write. And so it's, it makes it kind of very challenging at times because I don't really know where everything comes from. Um, you know, it's just, it starts with an idea. That's the only kind of constant. Um, so 25, it was, it was kind of, 25 was kind of an influx of, I, I had the, the concept started with, I was turning 25 and I knew I wanted to somehow end up at the number 25 and kind of count through all the years but how do you do that and not have it be super cheesy and corny and like terrible um so it took a little bit of uh 
a little bit of like wordplay and trickery to, to get, you know, to get to fit it all in. But, um, but when I was finished, it, I was very proud of that one. Mission accomplished. And the song that you have with Tom Morello on it, and so it went. One thing I'm curious about, did his guitar get edited as the last thing or the first thing? Because I can't tell. Um, tech, I mean, technically, again, kind of all at once. So it was, it was, I mean, it was technically the last thing when we put it all together. Um, but the, the concept and the, you know, the, I had reached out to him, um, you know, before, before we actually finished it. So I'd sent him a demo of it and because I just, I couldn't hear it without him being a part of it. Like it just musically made so much sense to me that that song in particular, just due to the lyrical content and like the overall kind of vibe and energy of the song that his, you know that undeniably Tom Morello sound would just work so well, and uh, and I and I was right. <laughs> like I just I was like I hear you coming in here blazing, and it'll be awesome. Yeah. And, uh, and I was right, and he does, and he comes in wailing, and it's just fantastic. So thanks, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Tom, and also great cameos from Kim and Matt from Soundgarden on the album. I don't know if I've ever heard of Kim on a non-Soundgarden, non-Soundgarden side project album. You might be the first. Uh well, I mean, I know he plays with a lot of his friends and stuff, but um, so I don't want to take credit for that. So I, I don't actually know. Um, but man, Kim is a, a wizard. <laughs> like, I just, he's like an alien wizard from another planet or something. Like, I don't understand what he's doing or how he's doing it, but it's fucking awesome. And that's, and that's the same way. I mean, like that song in particular was, it was certainly one of my favorites to record. It was, uh, one of the earlier songs written for the record, but the last one we actually recorded because we did it in Seattle, which was very cool. Um, we recorded at London Bridge Studios, so which is where you know Soundgarden made like Louder Than Love and Pearl Jam made Ten and Allison Chains made Dirt. So to be in a studio with that much history, with you know not to, not to just be there, but to then be there with Matt and Kim creating something new together was just like this amazing full circle, beautiful moment and just the coolest thing ever and like to hear the song come to life for the first time was just mind-blowing like the first time Matt hits his snare and the first note that Kim plays like I thought the speakers were gonna just explode <laughs> like it was fantastic it all just like worked and that's yeah. those magic moments are awesome um that song is certainly one of my favorites on the record I am with you right there I used to live in Hoboken where some of the pretty reckless recordings were made and when you live in Hoboken, you don't realize that the Pretty Reckless and Motorhead and Lenny Kravitz and Beyonce and Cindy Lauper, all these people were, were recording four blocks from where you live. Yeah, they're right this, down the street. <laughs> exactly. Was this the first album that wasn't recorded there or was some of it actually tracked there? Um, no. Well, no, this is the first record. Unfortunately, this we used to record at the studio called, uh, well, the first record was made at a studio called House of Loud in um, Elmwood Park, New Jersey. And then part of it was recorded at Water Music, which is in Hoboken. Yeah. And then from that point forward, we worked at Water Music for the next two, for Going to Hell and for uh, Who He's Selling For. And then unfortunately, Water Music is now defunct and closed, which is a very sad thing to see and say goodbye to. Um, yeah. You know, studio had seen a lot of records and a lot of life and uh, it felt like a second home. And it's, you know, studios are closing left and right now. Everyone who just thinks they can do it from home, which I mean, I guess you kind of can, but you can't. It's not the same thing. Like you got to you got to get in a room and a space and like, you know, be able to record drums in a live room and sit at a console. Like that's that's how you want to make a record. I don't want to make a record in my bedroom. Um, so, so this was the first uh, this, we had, this is the first record we didn't record there. Yeah. 
Got it. Sorry to, to bring up that that sad part right there. But Elmwood Park, New Jersey, I've been there a few times for for ramen in that area. I didn't know that there was a studio there. I don't know if it's still there anymore. Um, but yeah, it was called House Aloud. And uh, that's where Cato was working when we first met. Makes sense. So so going back to you, keeping the focus on, on you and all that, it's, it must be an interesting point in your career where you're officially a veteran artist. Anytime you've been doing anything for more than 10 years, I say you're a veteran at it. And so now when you do a set list, it must be weird in that you probably have had like 15 charting singles. And if you're going to play 15 songs and you don't do this song or this song, there must be people who are gypped. So isn't that kind of an awesome problem to have at this point in your career? Well, yes, of course. It's a great problem to have. Like when fans know your entire discography, it's that's fantastic because that means you can switch it up every night and, you know, hopefully they'll all be satisfied. Because, um, you know, playing live, like to call that a job is is kind of wrong to me. Like it's, I get to play music for a living. That's incredible. Um, touring is a job. Like everything that goes along with touring, it's exhausting and the like, the amount of work that a tour takes is crazy. But playing a show every night is a pleasure. Um, so it's, you know, we're there for you guys and we're there for us as well. But, you know, I already love all these songs. So we're there to put on the most entertaining show that makes you guys happy and you guys satisfied. And um, and only at the tail end of tours when I'm just so sick of playing one song that I maybe like we switch it up and do some sort of different rendition of it or something because it's just like, I can't play this again. Like it's just becoming too monotonous. Um, but that's the fun thing about having, you know, now four albums under your belt is that we can we can change it up every night and it never gets boring. Like Not it was a problem. It was, well, it was a problem we had on the first tour, like on our first album, we only had one record. And like when we were, we opened for Guns N' Roses and, you know, we had our set and we already had like two covers in there just to, to fill up the time. And yep. they're like, we need you to play longer. And I was like, well, we're already playing everything from our album. Yeah. We're playing all our music and two covers. If we play any more covers, we're just going to be a cover band. Like, I don't really know what to do. So we just kind of extended the guitar solos. And, uh, <laughs> and like, I, you know, we bullshitted a little more in between songs just to like ride out the time. Yeah, so it's a good problem to have now to not have that problem. <laughs> exactly. That makes me think of uh, John Lennon's son, Julian. And his first album was a huge hit for that time. And there's live footage of him playing live. And no one schooled him on how to play a concert. So he's going, uh, this next song's on my new album, you know, the next song. So this next song is on my new album. You seem like you never had that awkward phase of not knowing what to do on stage, not knowing what to do with your hands and all that, as in you'd been practicing for this big moment before it came. Um, I don't know, not really. First of all, I think I'm awkward all the time. Like I, I feel like I'm the most uncomfortable, awkward person ever. Um, so, you know, I, I really just try to kind of focus on, on stage. Like, you know, there's obviously a performance aspect to what you're doing, but I find that if I, if I really focus on what I'm saying and what I'm singing and, and really try to mentally go, go there with the songs themselves, then, then it kind of does it for you and you don't have to actually really fake anything, you know? Makes sense to me. So for you, there's not a getting into character thing at all to go on stage. That part is natural. Oh yeah. No, I mean, like I have my little pre-show routine, but it's very mild. It's like I eat a banana and you know put on my makeup put on my shoes um put on your in-ears because we all wear in-ears now which yeah but uh <laughs> i'm not i'm not a huge fan but it's kind of it's become a necessity um 
Yeah, it's like being underwater swimming. It, it's weird. I don't, I don't love it, but you know, especially when you get into bigger places or festivals, like it, it makes it, it, and it saves your hearing. Like it makes it so you won't go deaf, you know, very early on in life. So it's a good <laughs> thing. But, uh, but they're, they're kind of, and they kind of suck the life out of it a little bit. Um, but uh, <laughs> so you know, I have that kind of ritual. But it's, it's really just to kind of, you know, crack my hands and walk on. And then another bit of credit that you're owed is the band lineup has been really consistent, stayed together for a long time now. Most bands, album to album, it kind of changes. Not you guys. I, did you have to do any kind of band therapy or just everyone gets along naturally? No, it was, you know, we're really lucky in that way. Like this, this band formed in such an organic manner. Um, you know, it really formed back in was it 2008 um, when I, I met Cato and I met Ben and the three of us just like clicked in a in a way that I still don't even know how to put into words. It was one of those like kismet, you know, otherworldly meetings of minds or something where we all just like looked at each other and was like, I know you. I've known you for like longer than I've been alive and longer than like this is weird. Um, and so it was one of those just magic moments. And, you know, that's kind of where the band really Formed. And then shortly after that, I met Mark and Jamie and it just, it all just worked like we're best friends. And like, I don't know, we just have a really good dynamic and a really good um, foundation and we've never really had any major issues. I mean, knock on wood, as I say that, but like, you know, aside from all the tragedy and shit we've all gone yeah. through, but like, that's, you know, what we all went through that together. So like the, the core unit of us has always been um, just that of great, great friends. Cool. Well, three quick questions and then you're free and the totally all over the place. The first one is, what is your first concert? I can't figure that out. I didn't see that in any kind of a, a fan club-y Q&A <laughs> anything. Um, my first concert. Well, it's a tricky question because my dad used to, I was born in St. Louis and my dad used to take me to, there's a club there called Blueberry Hill, which was Chuck Berry's bar. Yeah. Um, and so my dad used to take me, like sneak me in when I was like literally a baby in the stroller to see local bands and stuff there. So, um, and I believe I even saw Chuck Berry, but I was too young to actually remember it. Um, so, but, so those, <laughs> but the first real show that, um, that he took me to, I was probably like eight or nine was, uh, was the White Stripes and it was phenomenal. And I was, uh, was a huge White Stripes fan. I, you know, I had their records, I loved it, but I'd never seen a show like that live and to, to experience, you know, a rock concert in full force like that. I was just blown away by the fact that two people could make that much noise. And that was, <laughs> it was certainly like a, a defining moment where I looked at a stage for the first time and went, like I was already writing songs, I was already singing, I was already playing piano and guitar and stuff, but, I never really thought of the live show aspect of being a, you know, being a musician um, in that way. And when I saw that, I just went that I want to do that. And that's that's the job I want to have. <laughs> that sets the bar high. Uh, next question. Favorite TV show of the moment or thing that you can recommend to somebody who needs a new show? Um, well, I've been going through a lot of old shows recently just because I kind of I feel like I hit the end of Netflix, which I didn't know was a possibility. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh for new shows well i'm a i'm a big law and order svu fan and there's i know and there's they're starting to air new episodes of that so that's exciting for me um i still have to play some catch up on that but as far as a new new show uh wandavision is amazing um i've been watching yeah. every week and i'm obsessed so that i recommend highly recommend that everyone's into that one and the closer for you any last words for the kids for the kids 
um, kids, pick up your guitars because rock and roll is awesome. And it's not old music. It's cool music. <laughs> it's don't, like, don't listen to Gene Simmons. Don't, don't be fooled. Rock and roll is not dead. You guys can keep it alive. And it's awesome. There's, you don't, there's no other, there's no greater feeling than cranking an amp and hitting a chord and feeling that power. So pick up your guitars, write some songs. It's a lot of fun. And check out Death by Rock and Roll while you're at it. Congrats again on the new album, not Tyler, Taylor. Uh, looking forward to seeing you live in New York when this all blows over. But really, thanks again for your time and keep up the greatness there. Absolutely. Thank you so much, man. Have a good one and please stay safe. Looking through your history, have you lived in Ontario your whole life? Because it looks that way. Yeah, I, I lived in Calgary for about six months out of that, but that was it. Calgary for training, I would assume? No, no, no. I moved out there for work. I was an electrician out there for a little while in the oil field. So, is little is um, Letter Kenny correct that Calgary is great for its beef? Uh yeah, yeah. It was like the beef capital of Canada, I think. <laughs> the thing I, 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 <laughs> I haven't watched Letter Kenny since they were just like they were just a YouTube pop up. Like before they made a sitcom, before they got famous, they were just YouTube stuff in like the early aughts, and like they were they were hilarious back then. I haven't watched them since then though. Uh, Letter Kenny problems, I believe, is what you're talking about. The yeah. the web series, which it's great and it's it's still pretty great. But before I ask you 20 more things about Letter Kenny, of course, <laughs> uh, you've been doing great in Impact as of late. You've done both tag and singles. Is the long term goal to be a top singles competitor? I, I don't have a goal one way or another. Uh, I, I just want to literally my escape is putting on professional wrestling matches. So the more wrestling I can do uh, at the highest level with the highest level competition, the better. If that's in a tag team, it's a tag team. If it's a singles, it's a singles. Right now, I'm going for that exhibition championship. I'm trying to put on the best matches I can for that exhibition championship and singles competition. And uh, for the foreseeable future, I see it being singles. So if we're successful, I don't see any reason to look back. Yeah, the X Division's always been acclaimed for having the best matches, the most high-flying and or action-packed kind of matches. Do you find pressure to go, well, it's an X Division match, so <laughs> I better do something really impressive, or does that thought never go through your head? Uh, no, not specifically like any specific moment like that. I, I look at every match like I want to steal the show. That's just how I'm wired. That's how I've always done things. How I've built my brand, kind of, so to speak. But uh, yeah, no, no, no I, I, I always have crazy ideas anyways. I don't think it's any different for Exhibition or not. Now, I've been to some Impact tapings in New York, but I think the first time I saw you live was that really bizarre show at the Madison Square Garden Theater, the AAA show that you were on. Uh, it wasn't, say, Madison Square Garden, but it was still the theater. Was it a big honor or do your Canadian roots say, no, it's the Maple Leaf Gardens is the place to be? Uh, well, I have wrestled Maple Leaf Gardens. I've been fortunate enough to do that. But uh, no, I it was it was a big deal. I got to take pictures beside like all these photos in the back of concerts and stuff that had played there and been in that venue. It was just it's a cool little like a little asterisk bucket list check, I guess. Right. I'd imagine was that for everybody. And it was a very unique show. <laughs> but uh, speaking of concerts. Uh, you have something in common with TNA Hall of Famer Sting, which is that there's another person with your name in the music business who's a big deal like yourself. Have you ever encountered the musician Josh Alexander? 
No, I have not. This is the first I've heard of this. Oh, he's written songs for Demi Lovato, Nicole Scherzinger, a lot of big people. And the story I always heard was that Sting, the wrestler, trademarked the name and then gives it to the singer for $1 a year as a customary thing. So could we see Josh Alexander doing that first? I, I mean, I guess I should look into that now. <laughs> oh, yeah. First, yeah, I've heard of, I know of a college athlete that's a basketball player that's pretty good. That's Josh Alexander, but I never heard of this person in the music business. So that's, yeah, that's interesting. I'm one of those people that reads the liner notes to see who does what. So I don't think everybody knows it per se, but you'll get on the Google machine after this. But uh, yeah. going back to you, I learned a lot about you earlier this month from the podcast uh, that you appeared on that your wife launched called See You Next Tuesday. Great podcast. That kind of part of your personality doesn't really come out much in impact. Is it tough to not be able to show that side of you? Yeah, it, I, just like, I, I've thought about this a lot recently, especially since like I've gone singles. Uh, my personality is not maybe, my, my, my real life personality isn't exactly what people perceive me as in the professional wrestling sense. As a professional wrestling sense, people look at me and they think I'm an intimidating monster, which right. in real life, you know, walking down the street yeah i might put that off just because i have this this face but uh like with my wife and stuff when i'm comfortable in my own home i'm just silly so you know i'm sure it'll come out eventually in impact wrestling a little bit here and there but uh for the most part like i, I just take professional wrestling so seriously that uh mm -hmm. i i think i'm stuck in that that zone so to speak it seems like half the impact roster is married to another wrestler am i out of line in saying that no no you're not but yeah, my wife doesn't work for the company, so. <laughs> there you go. But she's a great broadcaster and you're clearly a great broadcaster. In everyday life, does wrestling come up as 20% of your conversation or is it the second that you're not working, you know, this is, this is real life? No. Uh, so like I have friends and I have, I've known people that they just have to shut it off when they get home. They can't talk about business and work and stuff. And like, I don't see this as work. That's the thing for me. So like I'm at home, me and my wife, we're watching wrestling. We're talking about wrestling. We're doing this all the time together because she loves it just as much as I do. And like at no point, I know this is a job and a profession and a career, but at no point have I ever looked at it like that because it's just, it's so much fun for me. So yeah, sure. when I'm at home, we're just enjoying it. I'm sure that the singer songwriter, Josh Alexander feels the same way about his <laughs> profession. So you two can talk shop about that. Uh, but in, in general with impact, when I look at your career, you've, you've done everything that can be done except win the world title at this point. I'm sure that's eventually in your future based on your skill and, and all that. When you signed to Impact in the first place, did you know it was a long-term play or was it kind of like a, a gig by gig, day by day kind of deal? When I signed to Impact, I had no idea what was going to be like happening with me. I had no idea why they were signing me because I know they, everybody in power had known about me for years. Yeah. And I don't know what I did specifically. Like, I'm still going to ask that question one day. Of what was the catalyst that made you just finally sign me? But, uh, you yeah, know, I did it for the visa uh, because... I, I wanted to get into the American Indies. I knew I could make a living mm -hmm. as a wrestler, even on the Indies, if Impact saw nothing in me, just for that visa. And, uh, it, you know, it, I, they put me and Ethan together and as the North, and I didn't expect a 
them to give us the opportunity they gave us so soon, but they gave us the ball and we didn't drop it. We just ran with it for two years. Now, you know, he's dead and uh, I'm on to singles competition. And, uh, you know, I, I got into wrestling to be a champion. I want to be exhibition champion. That's like one of the, the bucket list things on me as a wrestling fan that I want to say I did before, you know, I hang up my boots and then on to the world heavyweight championship after that, because, you know, I, I need to set a new goal once I reach one, but uh, I, I had no idea that any of this was going to transpire any of these opportunities to be here. Cause I don't think anybody can say they had, you know, a for sure idea in the wrestling business. Good call. Well, a year and a half to two years ago, we saw a guy that looked like you named Tim Burr wrestle. Any chance he might appear again anytime in the future? Uh, maybe if they bring back the, what was it, the IBWF for, yeah, if that promotion comes back, I, I'm sure Tim Burr can dust off the boots and the suspenders. That, I thought, was one of the greatest things Impact ever did. When you taped that, did you know it was that great or did you just tape it and go like, oh, that was another show and move on? I, I got there a little bit late because I had an indie booking before the taping. <laughs> and uh, I got there and like everybody was already all costumed up in these new gimmicks. And like the second I walked through the door, I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. Like just the combination of like all the rascals and even like everybody just knocked it out of the park and everybody was having fun and that's the thing it came through when you watch it that everybody was having a blast you know what i mean because if we're having fun everybody watching us too well said well i did promise fifteen thousand letter kenny questions uh being mindful of your time i will not ask uh that many questions here because i'll wind down but what are you watching on television these days because face it every time you travel to nashville i'm sure your ipad is out or something is being watched well, when I'm in Nashville, literally the, the Food Network's on for diners, drivings, and dives. <laughs> I, I watch all these things I wish I could eat and get away with. <laughs> but uh, at home uh, with my wife, we just finished watching four seasons of The Mass Singer because she discovered that. And I thought it was pretty good. So, you know, a little unorthodox, maybe. <laughs> uh, not the things I was expecting. I, I thought you were going to say 90 Day Fiance. But, but you didn't. We have we we have gone through that. But I, I recently the new season I got sick of it. There's no big ad. I can't get into it. <laughs> okay, uh, back to music. And what music do you usually train to or work out to? Do you have any favorites? Uh, I, it's so eclectic. Like if you go through my favorite, my like songs on my Spotify, it'll jump from country to hard rock to rap. Like it's just stuff that over the years I've fallen into. But depending on mood, it's usually like a rap or rock, something more upbeat to kind of pull me along. And when I made the assumption that you kind of confirmed that a lot of the TNA, I'm sorry, a lot of the Impact roster is married to fellow performers, a lot of the TNA roster, uh, I, I don't know why I keep saying TNA, the Impact roster, my bad, it's the morning. A lot of the Impact read my, roster, read my hat. the branding, I messed up, man. Uh, <laughs> secret musicians and singers on the roster. Are you... Oh. A musician on any level oh absolutely not no <laughs> my father was uh, a career musician could play every instrument just by ear could draw you a picture with a crayon that would make you know put any like real photo to shame he was artistic he did not pass that gene along to me my artistic release is professional wrestling that's it hence all the violence and uh before i ask the last question 
The headgear is awesome. Uh, you're wearing headgear right now as well. I don't recall anyone else within the last 10 years wearing headgear and the Impact roster. Was anyone ever trying to get you to not wear the headgear? Uh, I've had people over the years kind of bring it up like, why are you wearing that? You want to get rid of it? It kind of looks silly, all this other stuff. But no way. that's like a, like 1% of everybody. 99% of people, for some reason, since Rick Steiner, I've been the only person that's been able to pull it off. Many have tried, apparently, but I've been the only one that's pulled it off. So now it's like an identifier for me. It's Rick Steiner and Josh Alexander. Outrocast. <laughs>